all of the schools that kept their food open, like their cafeterias open. That's from people who give a shit about the person next to them. And if we can't do that, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You could change all the pol- you could change all the police policies today, but if you don't love the person next to you, then it doesn't matter. Darwin. You're gonna say, "Oh wow, Darwin's trolling me," because Darwin, speech deserves to be defended. Do you not believe in the idea of GDP and aggregate demand? Yes, you are a hundred percent wrong here. I know you don't like I'm it. Telling you, I'm telling you to start thinking about reality, not what you want to be true. <laughs> Hey everybody, uh, this is a uh, special episode of Lofty Dharmaism. Uh, we're here with Jonathan Edwards and Shalom Agalaba, who is, Shalom has been a guest before us, so y'all are meet him. Um, and Jonathan was nice enough to host us to his Facebook Live page. And um, we, as a podcast, just like to dive deeper um, into discussion with one another, where we agree, where we disagree, where we want to evolve, where we want to explore, where we want to learn. And right now, I think there's a lot for us to learn uh, and evolve from, so I'll, I'll let it go from there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jonathan, do you want to just uh, briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. So I'll tell you all a little bit about myself, what I do, and why I'm doing a live thing. So my name is Jonathan Edwards. Um, I'm a uh, licensed professional counselor intern. So I do uh, drug counseling with kids, crisis uh, counseling. I'm a program director for a nonprofit organization in Lubbock. Uh, we're an outreach um organization but we also do uh prevention education for uh so we talk about drugs and alcohol and how it affects people in the community uh trying to give the kids information so that they can make educated decisions uh but we also do we also have like a clothing closet and we do a lot of we've been doing um in the last about month and a half we've also uh, applied for some grants to do some COVID 19 relief funds so we've been providing um, items to needed, you know, families in need in the community. Uh, from that, uh, I also work for the Texas Boys Ranch. Um, but I'm also, and the big thing that I'm recording from is I'm the uh, one of the co-owner and co-owners of an independent uh, publishing company called Irony Bros Publishing. And that's really how I uh, met Shalom. Uh, he was working at the uh, Hub City Comic Con, and so we were doing our first booth like two years ago, and then it's just been, you know, he's shown a lot of love and given us some guidance, and so, you know, we've been really grateful for for, for that, and so that's what I do. I do a lot of stuff in the community, but the reason we built the publishing company is to give people opportunities that, um, if you know anything about the publishing world, it's it's pretty competitive and very subjective, and not a lot of people with great talents get opportunities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I do not know anything about the publishing world, but I can believe that. <laughs> and Shalom, yeah. well, what about you, man? How you been? Well, I've been good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you let me go, you know, last uh, so I can try to, <laughs> try to do better than that. Golly, that introduction, man, that was, that was impressive. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wanted to say I drink and I know things. I, I don't know. Maybe that's it. <laughs> so no, so I just, now um, you're a tiny I white dude. To, I love to help out. I love to do what's that? <laughs> I said now you're a tiny white dude, though. Tyrion Lannister style. <laughs> That's his quote. Character. Sorry, I, I called you out who that that quote is from, but I yeah, that, that, that he's that, that, that's a great great poll. Agreed. Um, agreed. 
Okay, yeah, so, but, um, like, what, I mean, I guess just blanket question to everybody. I mean, like, how is everybody doing in terms, and, like, just over the past week, but I guess even over the past, like, three months and four years and 10 years and 200 years? I mean, I don't know, depending on how we want to break this down. Um, mm. What's, uh, like, what's life like over there in Texas? I mean, it's <laughs> as as it relates to the current climate, or yeah, very much as it. I mean, because that downtown Los Angeles is where I live, and it is a war zone, <laughs> or or was a war zone more uh, accurately. It was intense. There were a lot. There were tanks in our streets. There were a lot of protests. I went to some of the protests. Uh, it was. It was a defining week for me, at least, um, yeah, yeah. you know, like a lot of a lot of competing emotions that I have. And I, you know, I, I like very much it, it's like, how do you have this conversation? How do you say, you know, like what what are your thoughts like as a black man or as a person of color or like what are your thoughts just as a as a father or as an individual? Like how like there are so many many emotions I think running through all of us right now, and I think the question is like, how do you how do you even like start that conversation? Um, I would say um, so. I, like, I actually grew up in San Diego, so I'm, I'm a West Coast kid, but I moved to Texas to go to college. Um, I would say what I've seen where we are here in Lubbock, Lubbock's kind of is the bigger city, but it's not as big as like Dallas or anything like that, but where it is, it's kind of in the middle of, you know, we're, we're the, the biggest city close enough to New Mexico or Oklahoma before you get to the really larger cities. And so here they've been doing some of the protesting, but it's been very, it's been very controlled as far as from what I've, I've heard. I don't, I haven't necessarily involved myself in it. Um, not because I don't support what they're doing or any of the conversation, but I know myself, like for me also working in corrections, like I don't have, I, I couldn't deal with the fact of somebody shooting a rubber bullet at me and responding in a polite way, you know, just one, nobody would really like that. But, you know, the people I grew up around with in California, you know, you know, I've been around some violent people. And so I'm not saying I'm a violent person, but it's, it's very, you know, if you know, like, if you're like myself and you know, maybe you got a little bit of a temper. If I, and this is kind of what I think you're seeing with a lot of the more violent rioting and the shootings that are going on is you have people like myself that maybe have a little bit of a temper or maybe people like myself who maybe aren't patient, you know what I mean? And if I lose my temper and get aggressive, well, that hurts the conversation because, you know, as you were asking, like, how do you have that conversation? Well, like for, I know, and, and me and me and Shalom, we've talked about it is now that people are asking the question more directly you know, I had a friend ask me the other day, you know, have I ever been afraid being pulled over by a cop? And I'm like, yeah, all the time. But to say it out loud to someone who hasn't experienced it is a different thing. Now, now I'm sure nobody likes getting pulled over by cops. But when you're when you're dark 
or like like in California, if you have gang members that you know and you are that are also in the car with you, you're even more scared of getting pulled over by the cops. But sure. you know, my dad had a similar experience getting pulled over by the cops over the years. And my dad's in his sixties. My grandpa on my dad's side had the same experiences. You know what I mean? So for us, or me even talking to Shalom, Shalom grew up out here. I grew up on the West Coast, but we've all had similar experiences. And I think the tough part for me right now is to think about them in detail. Because, like, for us, it's just another day. Like, you, like it's normal. And I think it's interesting that people are now asking. You know what I mean? I think that's – I think the tough part is for us to kind of share that. Because I think we're so used to it that, I mean, it's kind of like if you, like for me, counseling, if I'm counseling someone that's suffering from a trauma, the toughest part for someone to experience a trauma is to actually talk about the trauma because that's the only way you can heal from it. But most people don't want to talk about those things where, you know, you, like for me, I'm half black, so my mom's white, so like, it's hard for me to consent, like, like I can see it and deal with it day to day, but it's different to talk about, yeah, I don't like it when people stare at us in a weird way or where people assume I'm, people will assume I'm full black. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, and I notice it more probably now that I live in Texas and California, I didn't think about it like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause and not that people aren't mixed in Texas, but Lubbock is kind of in the middle of like like Lubbock's a bigger city than some of the towns around, and so you would think the the diversity would be reflected in the culture, but there's still it's like they got some of the city mindset and some of the old town mindset if that makes sense. We're born and raised in Amarillo, dude. You're never going to hear me say a good word about Lubbock in my yeah, goddamn life. Yeah, I was about life. to say, like, come I'm on. Sorry. A fight I've been life. sitting here, like, trying to be cool about it. Like, I'll talk. I mean, I shouldn't. There are lovely neighbors to the oh, south. Oh, but you've got the loop. You've got I, the loop. Like, 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 I have visceral Amarillo reactions to every word you said about Lubbock. And, like, it's stupid because they're really not that different. But <laughs> yeah, like, they're like the same I, city. I, I, but, but they're the same place. But instead, I, got, I was like, man, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, but, no, it's very funny about that. But my question, there are so many questions about I had as you were talking. You work in the Department of Corrections, which is a interesting metaphor for what we're going through now. You know, an interesting is we, okay. you know, I don't know what role you play in in the system there are you counseling or, or what do you yeah, do? Yeah, I do i do i do counseling i've also done case management um at the or, the organization i'm at now right now you talked about understanding your temper as a protester would keep you from going there but you've got to like, you're, as i was thinking i was like well, what about the guards every day and they had your temper but didn't have a self-awareness of that temper would they be able to interact with their inmates well enough for this to go well and and then i think well what, how many of our cops are in those situations how many of us are always in that fucking situation where we have not sorry if i don't know how facebook live is if cursing's bad but um where we are like you have to if you're counseling someone you have to give complimentary behavior right you have to 
see it from their point of view or somebody and like, be with them and give them the benefit of the doubt, at least in the moment. And how much of that not being applied do you think is just why we're here? I, I would say, Ooh, and this deep. is for me, you know, a lot of the training, um, whenever you're working in corrections, is, well, even just nonprofit organizations across the board, uh, everybody takes class on trauma-informed care. You're going to take a, um, you know, even if you don't have like a degree like me, you're going to take like a mental health first aid, especially uh, cops and even in corrections is you're taught to de-escalate a situation because everybody knows, you know, if if that person's already in an aggressive state and I match them, only negative things are going to come from that situation, which is why like, okay, you know, you see some of the violence in cops and, and, and corrections, correctional officers do it all the time. I, I see all the time. Some do it. I mean, I work with juveniles, so you can't really get away with a lot of that stuff because they will come down on you like, you know, because they're kids. But the kids are not much yeah. younger than the adults that are getting, you know, and so you're trained to de-escalate a situation like so. It, but it's different. So for in a, in a correctional setting, I have to wait like, like we're taught to restrain people. But I cannot just restrain them for no reason. That person has to un. That person has to objectively make a decision where I have to restrain them, and even then, you're taught certain restraints to do so. So, so you're you're like, and for me, being a counselor, when I'm in the counseling mode, it would be the moment I have to grab a, a kid affects my ability to be a counselor for that kid because they may see me from now on as that person that grabs them and so i have to be very good at using my words to de-escalate a situation so that may mean i use my words to pull a person aside or do whatever to minimize because like half the time when you're in a crisis situation is you got to find a way to keep yourself together. So like if I'm dealing with a suicide client and they're crying or they're looking to hurt themselves, well, it doesn't help. Now, now, is there a point where I like, you know, I don't, I don't do community crisis counseling, but if I did and someone's looking to jump, there may be a point where you got to tackle that person to the ground. You get what I'm saying? But If that person is planning on jumping regardless, I can't stop them. But if there's a percentage of them not wanting to, I can, but I can't match their energy. What you do is you be assertive in how you talk. Or you try and draw some of that energy away. And with some of these situations with the cops, you know, because even, I mean, I won't watch the full George Floyd video. I can't, I can't. I can't get myself to do that. But say in that scenario, whatever the issue was, if he's, if he's, you know, acting out in anger or if he's having trouble breathing, a way you can handle that situation is you find, because you have four cops there, right? 
find one you think can talk to him. You get what I'm saying? It. Well, yeah, I I do understand what you're saying, and I I, I think that kind of the interface that I have with it is more kind of like globally from a philosophical perspective where I think it's healthy that we're really thinking from the ground up about what is the actual kind of justice system that we want to have in this country. Because obviously we're more or less calling on our police to solve society for us. (laughs) It's It's way too much. Like it's just way too much. We don't want to just go to work. Shalom, have you ever had like an interaction like that? I mean, you know, like Jonathan was talking about it, but like, have have you? Like where like um, you got so, pulled over by a police officer and it just felt pretty hairy? You know, without without going way, way too far back, I, I'll tell you. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think I've shared with you, you gentlemen before that my both of my parents for a long time have always told me that things are different for me than they are for my, for some of my uh, friends who are not of color. You know, they, they explained to me, I can't necessarily do all the same things. I can't have the same type of, of rambunctious behavior and some, and so I can be wild at times or rather I could have been wild back in the day, like just to have fun in the college days, you know? Um, but so that's just one, one aspect, but to answer your question holistically, yes, uh, I've been pulled over before and I've always had that, uncanny fear for well for many years of how is this going to go uh so i always turn off the car immediately put the keys on the dash and i I talk to the officer about how i'm reaching in my pocket for my wallet or my wallet or my uh for my id my id's in my phone i don't ever carry a copy of my my insurance with me never because they they make an app for that and i'm all about technology so I said my my insurance is here, and, and nowadays they can look your insurance up anyway. I mean, if your if your insurance provider is one that subscribes to the system, they can just look that up automatically, so they know before they ask you that. Like, is it possible we should have more speeding cameras and red light cameras and fewer cop pullovers? And I hate both of those things. And like, <laughs> I, but like, we are really. The number of times we're asking people to be interact with cops on a hey, pay me my money government level is wrong. Like they're not tax collectors. And like tax yeah, collectors with yeah. government is terrible. I, I mean But that's it, what they're doing when they stop you, man. That's yeah. what they're doing. When they get you a speeding ticket, that is a tax, right? And they're not saying you shouldn't even have speeding tickets. You should. But just do we want our cops enforcing our tax or local tax laws? When that can be done by annoying technology, which I don't like, but it's still better than anyone being shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, if fair point. the number, and that's what I wonder, and this is a lot of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, didn't talk about doing red light cams or anything, but he just said, where we're putting police, and like, when Sandra Bland got pulled over, that cop should never have been there, should never have been in that moment, should never have been pulling people over there. It was not a high crime area. He had no reason to suspect anybody there. Yeah. And that put her on edge because she had the history that everybody else had. And then this keeps getting worse. Mm. Well, yeah. And, and Matt, I, I, I mean, truly, we are, we are really. That was spot on, Matt. Like, Matt, I, let me, I'd like to say something about it because I think you said something that's sure, spot sure, on, sure. but I think we need to take it a bit further. The police department should do a lot better job of representing or, or maybe looking like the people who they are stopping. You'll, you'll get a lot better response that way. And I think that there's been some, there's been some changes. Uh, even here in Amarillo, there have been some changes like uh, to, the, to that point. 
to where the police have been more um, more of a, a a friend force versus the 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 enemy. And I'll, I'll be uh, upfront and say I have friends who are police officers. I have I I um I have several friends who who still remain police officers who have been friends with mine for years. Uh, do I fear them? And no. And it's not that I have I fear police. It's the it's the 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 uh, the uncomfortable unknown that could happen. You know, you look at me now, I, I have this facial hair, so I look a little bit more like a villain than I used to. <laughs> so so yeah. that could be taken as um, oh, but you got such a good smile. So like you know, you, I, I mean, no, I mean, I, I, you were one of the most charming individuals I've ever met. Like when you want to turn it on, Shalom. Period. Like I think anyone watching this knows that. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, but no, I, I do think we wonder about uh, as to whether, like, why, why are we putting people in these particular situations? And, well, and, uh, and why are we putting the onus for the city budget onto the police at all? You know, and I feel like that's kind of pay a, taxes. Yeah, but I mean, well, you, you know, everybody pays taxes. It's just kind of like how much and from where. And I feel like that is something that clearly seems to be a reinforcing element to this is the degree to which the city benefits financially when somebody gets pulled over and given a ticket. You know, when they don't benefit financially, when they have to pay a lawyer like my dad to defend the police because they screw up. And like my my dad had to do like the do you guys remember the Tulia drug bust the Tulia forty six yeah. where they arrested literally ten percent of the town's African American population for cocaine distribution <laughs> what <laughs> you remember this the Tulia drug bust was, it was <laughs> it was insane and 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 they literally arrested like most of the black people in Tulia I have some crazy number and, and eventually even Rick Perry had to be like this is so messed up I'm going to pardon you. Because a cop who was on a task force decided, was a crooked cop and decided to like just make up a bunch of stuff, and, and and it cost the city and everybody else not only those people lives in jail and everything else, it then cost the taxpayers a ton of money too. There's no winners here. Bad policing is bad for everybody. But I'll say this: not all cops are bad. I'll say this: not all cops are bad. I mean that's that's important to to mention is that not all cops are bad. There are bad cops just like there are bad politicians, just like there are bad school teachers, just like there are bad um any industry that we're in. There are bad people in those industries. Um and and I don't necessarily think that there are, that everybody goes into an industry today and says uh, especially police. I don't I don't know that I'm willing to say that every police officer goes to work and says, "Ah, I'm going to oppress some people today." You know, I I think that's I think that's asinine. But what I do think is that there's a level of, of 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 power that comes from having having um, control over another person, and I think that that's where the where the George Floyd thing went completely wrong. You know, is these other these other officers? I've heard that that uh, a couple of them were were rookies and they were they were in training, but they did nothing. I'll tell you this: the military has a, has a code of conduct that says if you believe that a that an order that you were given is unlawful, it is your duty to reject the order. You don't follow it. So Yeah, but they've been the proven that that's lawful to kill people for a while. Like, qualified immunity means that, like, almost whatever they do, they get away with. And I do literally think there was a time period where they got away with injuring people less, and, like, they started to use lethal force more because the lawsuits... 
became less if you didn't actually have a living victim. I'm not saying it was conscious. I'm saying that like things change and like we literally have like the escalation went higher. The court cases backed these people up. Like all of it went in a way. That, and then on top of that, we deify the cops, right? And you sit there and say, all, like, not all cops are bad. And I don't think all cops are bad. But if I was willing to say that I thought, no, even if all cops aren't bad, the system's so bad that it makes all cops bad, is that, a, is that a position I can say because of the privilege of my position, but you wouldn't feel comfortable saying because they are going to still come down on us in this town or you in this town? And that's what I wonder about this conversation. Well, and, and, I, and are we saying our truth? I think it's important, like like he said, there are some good ones, but I think it's also, you, you kind of got to look at it like from an industry standpoint is there's no, like, so for me, being a, a counselor, for me being a program director for a nonprofit, when one person like misappropriates funds for a nonprofit organization, everybody starts looking at nonprofit organizations. There's no okay, you made a mistake and you were ignorant of it. Like when you're playing with other people's money, especially if it's Fed or state money, they don't, you know, excuse my friends, they don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like they have no problem taking people down. Uh, You know, same thing like, you know, like you quoted the military. Well, a military police cop couldn't do, get away with half, like if a military police cop did what, they did to George Floyd, that person would be in jail today. They wouldn't even like trial and everything. There wouldn't be none of this extra nonsense, but, and this is what happened in the prison system with the Sandra Bland thing when she died in jail, right? Well, they changed all of the rules in the prison system to where if you come in, there's like a screening form that you fill out. If you come in and there's even a hint of depression, a hint of suicide, even though you aren't at all, they will put you on what they call close watch, which means they check your cell every five or so minutes. And if someone doesn't check it, they're fired. If you miss that time slot, you're fired. You know what I mean? So they changed the whole industry in Texas just because of that. So like if I had a kid right now, tell me he wanted to kill himself. He, we're going to strip him down and he's going to get put up in a cell because even though I know that person's not suicidal in that moment, the law, because of one death, they changed policy across the board where people could get sued, fired, lose their licenses if they, if they ignore it. But with police departments, they can make these same mistakes. I mean, the moment you take a life, there's no coming back. But there's no, there's no across the board accountability held to, you know, like any industry you see, you know, like if, if Ford, for example, were making shitty cars and they knew it, like with the Pinto, well, every other auto industry organization is going to be on their ass. You know what I mean? But the police departments, it's cool. We're seeing it now. All these cops are getting up and saying, this is wrong. Well, where were you all the other times? You, you get what I'm they saying? They cowed by the system. They were like, this is what we're Yeah, the, the system. The system is, breaks you, man. Like yeah, saying something against it. Seems it seems like it, a paranoid system. It seems like it really, it instills 
the idea that everybody wants to kill cops, which I mean, I understand that it is dangerous. It is the state sanctioned point of violence that theoretically a civilized society has has sanctioned. But I think it may it it, it is like they're I feel like it seems like they're just prepared for the ultimate throwdown at every single moment and it, or at least not of every single moment like just at too many moments like if, it, if you're ever wrong about that if it's a police officer then it's it's a clear violation of your duty kind of yeah and, I, and yes. there's got to be a high there, there's definitely a higher level of of uh scrutiny that police officers are held to there should be and there, there should be a should higher level be. i Come don't on, believe I'm, I'm, there I'm is right there. now I'm, I'm, I'm getting there i'm getting there, yeah. there is a, no, let's, let's be fair let's 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 be fair let's be fair you can't you, you can't be a cop and just say like for me i i can go outside i'm i am a texas i am a texan through and through unless i'm in atlanta then i'm a georgian through and through but anyway that's not the point the point is I, I like guns. I mean, I do. I like to shoot guns. And I do like the idea of having a handgun that I can protect myself and my family with. So if someone comes to my property and and wants to to you know harm me in any kind of way, I, I pull up my weapon and I end that. That's where that stops. But if I'm a cop and it's my property, I still have to worry about other things. Like, where do I shoot him? Did I shoot him here? Did I wound him? Did I kill him? I know he really came here for this, but I've also got this other level of conversation that's going to happen after the fact. Now, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be there. I absolutely think that should be there. I think we have that line there, but now we need to take it further because we're seeing situations in which what, what happened to George Floyd should never have happened. But it's not the first time. Let me share something with you guys. Uh, Dave Chappelle actually was on. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this. Dave Chappelle was doing a talk or uh, doing like a stand up and uh, he got heckled by somebody. Somebody said, hey, it's tough or it's tough being black, something like that in the audience. And I'm paraphrasing now. And instead of shutting this woman down, Dave Chappelle stopped and explained to her why the, the racial tensions exist here with police and he gave a situation where he talked about how he was he was stopped uh i don't even i think he was speeding he was speeding downtown in his in his uh city of ohio that he or city in ohio that he lives in and the cop that stopped him he said i'm gonna get you my i'm reaching in my wallet for my id um my registration's here i'm gonna get that for you now officer and and the officer said i know who you are dave chappelle everything's okay like as in dave chappelle calm the hell down there's no reason to be <laughs> Uh, freaked out. But I'll share with you that officer is the same officer who killed John Crawford III. And John and Crawford was a man I'm who was shot in Walmart. So you see what I mean? It's 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 a situation of okay, this guy here acted like this is something this is this is not commonplace, but it was just a few months later that he that he ended up killing this kid. Well, yeah, I like I, I I can understand that, right? Because like if you're, it, it, I, it, I a lot of it seems to come down to the sense of like dehumanizing the person in front of you. Like if you if it's a celebrity or if on some level they seem like rich or you know just like like I, I feel like it's easy to assume okay, well this person's not going to fuck with me. But I feel like it's for everybody who's just like on like that border case where it, which is most people where you don't know this person. And I think that's where it seems like there's this default to this person in front of me. Oh, he's reaching for something. He must be a guy. Like, it seems like they're just really, like the hair trigger is 
just you firing on should all be cylinders. allowed to just be in fear and then shoot like literally the standard is if you reasonable fear for your life it's like like if you can't i mean I, i've never been a cop i've never been on this beat but like i think if you're going to put yourself in that line of duty it should be with the understanding that like your life can't be first it can't be first on the priority list in that moment right like I'd pay you more for that because like you're our citizen on patrol and we should pay you more for the fact that like you have skills and you have, or there's a sense of sacrifice. And like, I want every cop to come home to their parent, you know, their kids every night. You know, I don't think that should be, but, but the way we're doing it now is, is engendering not, is, is putting violence on the, on the citizens and engendering violence towards the cops in the long run. And like, I think the reason Amarillo is somewhat different, but it just had all of these problems and I could give stories about it. I'm sure you could too, is the cops have to live here. Right. And that makes a big difference too. Like, so, you know, if you're in Austin or you're in Houston or any of the big, big cities, right. They go live in a suburb and then they patrol the inner city. Mm-hmm. They go yes. outside that. Like the cops here, the teachers here are taxpayers in Amarillo, Texas, in Lubbock, Texas. Right. So like you can't be a total citizen cop. You you can't divorce your profession from your tax base. Right. I kind of like being a public teacher because like I'm I, I care. I'm like paying my own salary and I want to. I want to pay for the services we, we provide each other. Right. And cops who live and pay their property tax here, too, I think should feel the same way. But we we don't have the collective ownership that we are actually given. You know what I'm saying? That we actually really have here. And we're not taught it that way. We're not taught any of those things. We're just like told, told the bitch about taxes. Like someone would complain to me that, that because of the riots we're going to pay higher taxes. And I was just like, we have been broken. Like it's our high, does anyone want to pay higher taxes? No. But is that the concern I have out of riots? And if it, and if it stopped a riot, would I be sad if it, we didn't have, if we had higher taxes? No, I, I don't know. You know, and I would, I would also say, like, I would call them protests right yeah. now. Like, I, 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 I think that be- there's a point at which you can call them a riot. Some of it was uh, analogous to rioting, but uh, rioting. But even like at its peak, there was never a, a, a real violence being perpetrated by the masses. It was, it was all property damage, and I, I think that that is at least different from just fucking attacking people, which is kind of what I would describe as a riot. I, I think like so, like like for, for, from um, I, I think what was it? Uh, I think you mentioned that it's a, it's a human thing, and I was you know one of my mentors last week kind of mentioned like it, it's a a respect for humanity thing because if you see what happened to George Floyd is so like so if you're dealing with a client that this is a this is consistent with suicidal and homicidal clients are actually very similar. So one of the things that happens with a person who tries to kill themselves, like is really trying to, and someone that wants to kill another person is, and you'll even see this. If you look at some of the research on the uh, school shootings, there's suicidality with that person before they actually do it. So they kind of go hand in hand. But one of the things that happens is what they call it, disassociation like so i no longer like you can watch the walmart shooting right which which i I can't watch that kind of stuff you see the guy come in with earmuffs and a gun or even if you think about the vegas shooting the night before or earlier that day 
The guy went to a restaurant, bought food, did normal life things. So if I'm going to go shoot and I put my earmuffs in, well, if you're going to go shoot up a Walmart, why does that matter? But what that person is doing in that moment is I no longer see that person on the other side of the store as a person. That is a thing that is an it. It's no different. Like, like I step on a spider. I'm not like, I'm not thinking that spider's got like a thousand kids and I'm taking away their, so you know what I mean? I'm just saying I'm getting rid of a spider, but that's when you watch the George Floyd, like I can't watch the whole video, but just the moments where there is the two of them, he's not seeing that as a person beneath my leg. That's the road. You know what I mean? Or when you look at the whole Sandra Bland thing is that's even though the, the video is obscure, you can hear from that interaction that is no longer that you are no longer viewing this as a person or even the Trayvon Martin shooting. When you look at some of the information that took place, like obviously I can talk to you and find out information. If I really suspect something about you or even um, the Ahmad Arbery situation, they, you can watch that. They did not see him as a human breathing human being. You know, they, they like, and I won't watch that video at all, but you see that. And that's what's happening is where it's, it's so far beyond a racial thing. Cause you'll see the video on Facebook going around where they pushed over a 95 year old man. If I pushed over a 95 year old man today and it was on video, one, my dad would beat my ass. My mom would beat my ass. I would be the biggest asshole in the world, but the fact that someone with a name tag and a job title, like, cause you're, you're a teacher, right? Yeah. You push a kid, you get a, a bruise on a kid on accident. Oh what yeah. Happen? You're not going to, no, you're not teaching again. You're probably, you might go to jail. You're, you're not in a good spot. Even if you didn't, your world is over. Even if yeah. you didn't do a thing, even if the kid hurt themselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like we acknowledge we give a fucking so many – like we spent two months sheltering in place to save the lives of our grandparents to watch a cop just murder someone on the fucking streets. You know what I'm saying? Like we clearly care about people's lives and yet we are not – and like there are times when we're caring about kids but like no. The system either has to care or it doesn't need to care at all on some level, right? And we're only selectively giving a fuck <laughs> and we need to start caring about everybody. And if you look at, like, say, guys in Iraq, right, or the guys in Afghanistan, or even is, they could have just lost someone on their squad the day before, but that doesn't mean they can go out and shoot Arabs. You get what I'm saying? And if they were to do that, you get what I'm saying? And even in a combat situation, they can't squeeze that trigger, even though it's objectively that person's got a gun and is intending to hurt me. I can't squeeze my trigger until it is beyond a reasonable, you know what I mean, that it is a have to situation or a need to or an okay or even like 
What was it? Oh, yeah, but, I mean, but even that, that like, like who who was that guy who the sniper who was murdering Iraqis and Donald Trump pardoned him and got the Navy secretary fired? Like, I, I do feel like there's a culture here in which the very thing that you're talking about seems to be like the president is saying, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, I just can't yeah. imagine what is going yeah. on in anybody's head that that would be at all the th- like, okay, like, I don't understand this moment that we're in, like how people can be that blind. Well, to and, this and the level fact that he, he got pardoned, man, at some point, he was already sentenced to jail, like, he was already. Yeah, the right. He was in, involved, I think, in the court martial as like Trump was tw- started tweeting about it. Yeah, they, I mean, but they like even now, like you hear about all, you know, all the rapes going on in the schools at Texas Tech right now. If a student reports to a teacher a sexual assault, proven or not, that teacher does not report that that happened, even if it didn't happen. And that teacher doesn't. They're fired. Because they're taking stuff as light, you know, not that sexual assault is light, but until it's been investigated, you don't know one way or yeah. the other, but they're taking it so serious. But a police officer should be held to such a standard to where if you pull that gun out, because what what's I think what's making black people mad and maybe what, not just black people, anybody who's getting shot by cops or dealing with it. And this is where I think mainstream, you know, Blue Lives Matter people now understand is we're not mad. I'm not mad if you shoot somebody that's shooting at you. What I am mad at is you have an infinite amount of other ways to diffuse a situation. Like what was that one where the cop shot the guy, killed him, and thought he was reaching for his taser? Oh, that was Michael Brown. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but I know damn well what my gun feels like. I know exactly where it is on my belt. But could you imagine, like, if you're a doctor and you're like, and we haven't even, I gave him Eric Gardner. I, I gave we him. need a gun. Yeah. Eric Gardner alone, man. Eric Gardner alone. Should have, we should have been in the streets about that one. Honestly, that right there, we, we all watched him just get choked out by a straight chokehold. Like, that should have been enough. Uh-huh. Like, there's so many that should have been, but like, or, I guess finally when we break, we break. You know, like when all yeah. of us finally go, we're all breaking together. Because one of us can be outraged, but the system is still bigger than us. Exactly. Like, together. Right. What was it? One where um, you had the the young man in the front seat, his girlfriend was in the second, and the baby was in the Lando back. Castillo? Yeah. yeah. And, and, oh, where he was, oh, God. The, I mean, there's just, it's. How he hit the kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for Shalom, <sighs> you got kids. If you discharge your weapon in that house, what's going to happen? Man. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Let's, let's, I mean, God, yeah, yeah. I know exactly you what you're saying. Your kids well, no more. Okay. You know what I'm saying? May I, may I ask a question of you, Jonathan? Because like, I do, uh, I, I do agree. Like, it, it is fundamentally a human thing. But I think that one thing of current moment, certainly among a lot of my friends out here in Cali, are very much wanting is to make this a moment where we have a direct conversation about race specifically and say, it's not just about like, did you murder this man? It's like, did you murder this black man? Like, would you ever see a white cop 
putting his knee on a white guy like that, you know, like, or any cop doing, like, putting his knee on a white guy like that. Like, do you think, like, do you do you find yourself w- hoping that it becomes more a conversation about racial inequality in America, or do you find yourself not thinking that that's mostly, like, something that you're activated by? I, I would say the human thing, like, because racism, at some level, I see you as a, a person, maybe a person I don't like or a person I don't agree with, is I don't even think we're at the point where not that racial things doesn't apply, is I think the human nature of it precedes it. Like in, until we start seeing because you can see it, you know, it just in comment sections, the things that people will say to each other, and you know, you look at some of the things that the, the lengths that people will go to hurt an individual, or even if you look at the comments, you'll see on any of these videos of where a black person gets shot or whatever, the, just the comments alone shows that we don't even view each other as people. Like I won't watch those videos because yeah. not just because it's a black person, because the black part already pisses me off, but that's, that's somebody's kid. And so and I think and I think it complicates where you're at, because in California, the gang element and the racial thing merge. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure, it's complicated. Yeah. So it, like there, it's tougher to even or, you know, if you look at Chicago, it's even tougher to delineate. But out there, I would say it's almost a two bird with one. So I see you as a like gang member so i'm gonna deal with you that way but you're also black so i get two birds with one stone but like i think it's in california there's a presumptive guiltiness if you're black and you wear a certain color or you're mexican or asian and you wear a certain color which allows them i can deal with you as a gang member but it may be i just don't like you, you know what I mean? It's tougher to yeah. delineate. Whereas out here in Texas, I feel like Texas is more the color part of the conversation is more apparent. Whereas yeah. California, it's it's tougher to separate the two. Well, okay. How much of this trauma is now genetic in us? It's like they're doing studies about like if you're if you're born to stress. No, I mean like we've we've had now. Like we've the, the what well, the pain we've inflicted upon each other has come out every all the way through this, right? There's been cycles of, of there's been racism cycles upon racism cycles on so, each other. Right? So Matt, no, and, so I, I like really strongly it our, like it comes out in our stress around it. It comes out in our yeah. inability to talk about it because literally yeah, yeah, it's, it's gone badly. I don't mean like I don't mean like yeah. it's because we're black or because we're white. I'm saying like when when any group of people goes through like a trauma. That trauma comes through the genes of the next generation down. And as Americans, we've been going through cycles of uh, as humans. And I just wonder how much of it becomes like echoes of the past coming through, even in. So I think we're getting into the ethos, you know, we're, we're getting so into I, the ethos uh, of, the, of the moment. Oh, go ahead. So in, uh, psychology. So what they call is called multi-generational like systems theory so we where you look back a couple of generations so even if you look back at say 
my grandpa, he died in his 70s, and he was born in uh, on my dad's side. He was born like 1928. And if you look at that generation, so that's a generation that's maybe one removed from the Civil War and slavery, 1928. So one or one and a half. It's crazy if you look at the, the just on substance use alone, in the 1920s, drug use was high. And after a point, alcohol use was high. After a point, yeah, obviously prohibition. But also, this is one generation after Civil War. And one of the things that they've seen in studies, like, so if a mom is very stressed when she's pregnant, that kid may end up skinny, hypertension, diabetes, asthma. And that's where you'll notice, like, with black families, so black families were susceptible for heart problems. There's always somebody in the family with heart problems. There's always somebody um, in the family, you know, with diabetes. Well, some of that stress, some some of that is passed down. That's and, and that's just on the biological level. But when you look at divorces, uh, domestic abuse, all of it is that is that trickling down of of history. And that's where, like, if you ever get a chance to do what they call a genogram, is where you look at, you know, your mom, your dad, your dad's mom, your mom's mom, and you go back. You know, and you start looking at your family tree and not just in I'm related to that person, but like what was their issue? And you always hear about, oh, that's uncle so and so, and they got a little bit of a problem. But all of that is trickling down from above from previous generations. And you know, you'll see that, you know, with Irish families, if you go back for when they had the potato famine, I mean, that's why you'll see sometimes in Irish descent people, hypertension, you know, high stress, you know, very natural, you know, uh, some of that, you could date some of that biological and genetic response back to that, even though you're far from it. Or even you look at people in the U.S., you know, like during um, the 1930s, you had the Dust Bowl, you had, you know, you can even say, you know, my grandpa, he was on my mom's side. I mean, if you know people that lived through the Great Depression, all that, even just the way they carry about themselves is completely different. And they would never be able to tell you, oh, it's because, well, we didn't have shit in the cupboard. You know what right. I mean? I mean, look, I, I completely agree that the these are kind of like, you know, the, the generational wealth to which you're born and the way that that has been disproportionately you know, like spread in our society has been very instrumental in getting us to this point. Um, and also, I, I, but I was curious, uh, Shalom, what, what did you mean when you said that we're getting into the ethos of the situation? Like what, what, what does yeah. that mean? Thanks. Real good question. You know, I, I always say this about racism. There's systemic racism and there has been, and I think now that we're talking about it, we need to keep talking about it. Because if we don't keep talking about it, we'll keep seeing the protests. And the protests will turn from being protests to riots. And then you, you'll see it when, when Jonathan was talking about the comments in, in the videos. You know, you've got one, you've got both sides of the argument. There shouldn't be two sides of an argument. You've even got people who are trying to justify the George Floyd murder. You've got people who are doing that or who are trying to do that because 
of his background of maybe he was uh, a criminal before is what they're saying, you know, or what I've heard said and things like that are, 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 wow. That's, 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 people don't understand how that's blatantly racist. That's beyond, that's beyond uh, latent racism. That's blatant racism. So I think that you have to be carefully taught. Racism isn't something that is inherited. I didn't inherit racism because my parents were racist and my their parents were racist. It's something that you have to be carefully taught. When you go to school with people who don't necessarily look like you every day, you learn that, oh, okay, cool. There are other people around me. You don't learn these names to say that the, the uh, derogatory terms to use towards someone uh, because you automatically had those words in your vocabulary. You learn it because you were taught that. People have a have an interesting way of thinking. I'll give you an example. When we talk about when we talk about the South here in the South, the you, there are a lot of people who are incredibly passionate about about um, the South will rise again, uh, the rebel flag, and how that plays a part in in history. How that's its heritage, not hate. Its culture. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not about killing and or or oppression and and the reality there is that doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You know, it it's doesn't like, make any damn I was like, sense. I was like, like where are we going, Slow? I'm pretty so, sure we're going so here. Every, yeah, like every country. Like so, so, so if I go into war, if I, if I go to war with another country, and this has happened in every every um, every battle that I've ever heard of or ever studied in history, it's if you lose. You no longer have a flag, and then you'll hear people say, "Oh, well, it's not about it's not about that. It's about my 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 southern pride." Okay, you are a Texan. Let's use Texas as an example. How about the Texas flag? Because the rebel the 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 rebel battle flag is not not a real flag that can be flown. It's a it's a losing flag. It is actually an act of treason. If you get down to it, yeah, we didn't. We didn't let Germany fly their school, flag for 50 but, years after World War II. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, like, we're really scraping the bottle, bottom of the barrel when we talk about, why don't we just get rid of the Confederate flag? Like, okay, why didn't we do that a long time ago? Like, I feel like there are a couple of, like, low-hanging fruit things that we could do right now that are pretty easy. And I think that in a lot of ways, I mean, you know, just to me, like, just the massive number of people that we have in prison, most of whom are black or brown – because of like marijuana or other low level nonviolent offenses is through the roof and they're still there, you know? And I don't like, I don't see any way to, to like move forward without saying, Oh, maybe, maybe let's like try and declaw that system as fast as possible. Right. Question for y'all. Sorry. How long, how long does it go from being Racial protests to be economic protest at this level of unemployment, especially when you have unemployment increasing, but black and Hispanic unemployment increasing as white unemployment decreased last week. Like the history of riots and the history of protests is not usually racial. It's usually about money and jobs. And we have a really rough economy right now. Um, like, and so I wonder do you guys see it changing? Do you guys see it just adding to it? Like, I, I, I wonder about like, we're fixing this now, but we're in, incredibly high unemployment, which is usually an even bigger destabilizer. I would say one of my fears, you know, like with us hoping with the COVID-19 and all of this, the, my big fear was this, was the economic back 
you know, kind of backlash is, you know, that's when everybody was buying up guns and they, it was smart. I think some people buy too much gun. I mean, I bought like two guns during that time. You know what I mean? Just because protests like that writing was coming. This was just, this probably jumped the rioting. Well, no, I think the rioting was going to happen earlier. But I think with enough fear of the corona, people getting sick, nobody wants to riot and get sick or get their grandma sick. But I think this, that fuse was ready to go. And it didn't matter what kicked it off. Because when you look at the rioting, is it's not even... It's not even really so much as much as it's directed towards cops. It's really not as directed towards cops as it could be, because, I mean, you don't see like in California, you have the gang, you have gangs everywhere and the gangs have a lot of guns. And if they really wanted to riot the way they are capable of, there'd be a lot more dead bodies. But you're not seeing that. But what you are seeing is. Which is why, like, it blew my mind. Why would they rob Target? Well, Target's got all the basic shit. Like, black people don't shop at Target that much. You know what I mean? That's not like, you know what I mean? And, and oh, wow. Uh, it depends on where it is. Because, like, I went to PG County in Maryland, and the Target there was predominantly black. So I think it depends on where they put the Target, man. Yeah, I guess. Like, so. no, just like, yeah, the places, I thought they were going to rob first. I'm like, Foot Locker's getting it, Champ Sporting Goods. You know what I mean? The audio, I thought the audio speaker store, that one stripped, but Target, but I'm like, Target's got essentials, you know what I mean? Like, some of these places yeah. are, are like, and some some are like baby formula. I mean, I, like, I, I, I have to it. say this, like, the, 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 like, the day after, like, the real intense, or I think there was two nights of real intense looting, and because, like, d- downtown Los Angeles is not large. It's a, I mean, it's tall, but it's not large, so and it was completely looted. Like every, like they really, they, they, they took all the Starbucks down, everything uh, left to cool. the cool stores. I was like, I was like, they have good taste, these looters. Um, but <laughs> one thing, one thing that I did notice was there were a ton of people walking around with very loud speakers, blasting music. And I was really impressed at that. I was like, this city feels dead and alive to me right now. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What the, but it did seem like somebody got well, some some Thomas audio sort got hit. This, like <laughs> Sublime, uh, April nineteenth, uh, April 26, nineteen ninety two. Like that's a song we've all heard growing up. Oh yeah, that's a song about looting in. That's white guys rapping about looting in Los Angeles during a riot. Tell me how it's all black people loot. I mean, it's literally like I was grown up on a song about doing that. I didn't go do it. But like, it's yeah, not, it does it's seem to be like a lot of white people are looting. Like, I don't know. Yeah, what it see? Sends a message. <laughs> that's the point. It sends a message, right? So I think mm-hmm. I think we're on the right path, right? So I need to say this because I think this is important to realize, and I'm really passionate about this. We're on the right path. Those of us who are out there and and and, and making the voice heard are standing together. You you see, black, white, Asian, Mexican, Hispanic. Um, you know, uh, African, everyone's out there. It's not just one race out there saying we are mad, we are tired, we are we are angry. You know, a couple of things I want to mention. I, I read somewhere that six billion dollars is how much the New York, the NYPD is is funded. Like there, there's sure. money budget. Makes sense. Six billion dollar budget to police department. Let's do these things. Let's let's teach the police 
how to be better at handling situations that are really tense like this. There should be never there should never be a situation in which you you as a police officer feel that you are not prepared to do your job. Now, I, I understand it's got to be a tough job to be a cop. I I'm not a cop. I have no interest in becoming one. But again, if I signed up to be a cop, there's a lot involved in that. But they, we also owe it to our police officers to train them, give them the proper training, give them the proper, uh, uh, give them the proper tools that they need. Because if you don't, we're going to keep seeing things like that. But going back, I'm really, I'm really happy that we are all standing together and and making the voice heard. Because that's how change happens. Because right now, uh, a situation in Amarillo, we had where we were, we were going to. There was a protest here. It started at City Hall and went all the way to Sixth Street. You know, there are a couple of bars on Sixth Street that had a different difference of opinion than I, than I share. Um, and so, you know, the situation could have been a lot more tense than it was. There was a gentleman who on on Facebook, on his Facebook page, on his Twitter page, I won't give him the dignity or the I won't dignify him with by using his name here because he's scum. Uh, so I won't use him, but we'll call him Skull Drinker. For, for for purposes on uh, going related here, the man talked about how if if someone came here and did the protesting and rioting here or looting here, that he would shoot them and drink from their skull and make their family watch. Like yeah, no, no, that's asshole. vibrato. All of that's vibrato. But somebody, because I mean, the reality of that—that's I mean, that's comical in a sense. But but the fact of the matter is, someone said it. And they thought it was okay to say it. And they were comfortable doing so because, because of where we stand currently as a, as, a, as, a, as a country. Your leadership defines the direction that you are as a country. Now, that's just my opinion. I've never led a company. I've never been president of the United States, but I do know this. When you're He's announcing now, sir. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, what you do is you say... I have a I have a fiduciary obligation responsibility to 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 reflect on things and then to drive us as a nation to where we need to go and unify us. This is not unification. Saying that you're going to release dogs on on <laughs> release dogs on people with the gassing We are fundamentally asking for a person in that office to do something they are not capable of doing, which maybe should give us lie to the fact that the person in the office can't be that fucking important, right? Like whoever is the president can't be this important anymore. I'm sorry. Like Barack Obama wasn't magically awesome enough to match how much I love him to fix all our problems. And Donald Trump is terrible enough to just make them worse. Right. So like, we got to do something else. Like we have to like not put as much emphasis on the president. Yeah. Well, and I think people need to, to, to me, like, I don't do politics because I not because I don't think there's some value in it. I think the way we use politics is like completely like fake and we might as well be honest about it. You know, like there's that old joke of, you know, politicians should be like NASCAR drivers, you know, wear a suit with like that says whoever they're sponsored by because you might as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I thought it was because I wanted to turn left all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think what we're seeing a lot is people misunderstanding how our government works because all the power making like a lot of these changes doesn't really rely with the president. You're looking at city councils. You're looking at the legislative branch. You're looking at other entities that are actually a lot closer 
Because the way checks and balances work is the president can make some rules, but the states can, in you know, in some ways, say fuck off because that's what you've seen with the COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. This state over here is doing one thing, another state's over here, and Trump saying this. You know what I mean? There's like, you, you know, there's a breakdown in understanding how the role of the federal government versus the state. You know, even if we all want police reform. It's going to start at the city level, you know, because especially for you're a teacher, like, and this is where I think people need to pay more attention. Like when you deal with anything related to the government, you realize how stupid they are. You know what I mean? Like you're a teacher. How is it? Yeah. I feel like this is so funny because it's like. It's it's also an ideological diverse moment, you know. Like you saw Mitt By the way, Romney. We broke a lot of those this time. So like we proved <laughs> how stupid a lot of them were when we changed to COVID nineteen times. And I actually think we're gonna go back to a better form of teaching that requires less stupid crap. Yeah. At the end of this, which is be great. Yeah, but I mean, like you have people making decisions for you that have never never taught a day in their life, have never been in the classroom, but the decisions they make. Well, they make it so low-income schools in Amarillo get less shit, and the good-income schools get better shit, better teachers. You know what I mean? And you punish kids for growing up where, you know, you can't help where you're born. You can't help the skin color. But, I mean, that's just—and that's where, like, I'm glad people are protesting, but I hope they are protesting and reading. By the way, I have a question for you all. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look, I, I just wanted to make one fast point, which is I, I think really crucially important, you know, because I'm a libertarian for the most part. And I find this moment to be quite beautiful because I feel like this like like the left and 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 Democrats and libertarians are like in lockstep on this. And it's 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 a it's a movement that I think is more powerful than it otherwise was, because so many people individually see this as a righteous moment to really push forward if we can sustain it and especially if we can avoid like dehumanizing each other just in this coalition just expand this one coalition where for me i'm 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 all about conversation and treating each other as humanity and i feel like you know for matt and like the left portions it's about justice it's about you know like making the world a better place and i feel like we can all kind of like just walk into this together if we can really start to see the humanity in each other full stop i agree man i agree with that that's that's really cool right there. <laughs> well i'll give yeah. you guys the parting shot i gotta get going and have some dinner well man had man had, man had a question well it's no it's a much deeper much longer we could get off to but it's about like i because I, you, your school question triggered on me because we do so much in, <laughs> at, at Cap Rock for people. and it's the thing i wonder about like we give a lot of resources to our 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 school and we have and we but it and we close a lot of gaps with those resources that we're given by the state and by federal government we go after the grants that are there for us right and then until this year we us and i think pd anyone got like there was a way to get straight into college and uh, have the first few years paid for. Now every kid in ASD gets it, but for years there was a deep focus on our area of, or that area of Amarillo, which wasn't my area. Now it is. I, I work there, but um, 
Yeah, Matt, Matt, don't like, some, make this a right, yes or go. no question. But, <laughs> how do, like, there would, I don't I know, go. it's just like, yeah, we'll let Darwin go, but how do we, how do we close those gaps? Because I just see so many problems in the system of, even as we try, we leave certain kids behind. Like if you're, if you're white, but your parents don't give a damn about you, good luck. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, but if, like, if you, but in our system, we can catch certain kids. Like, it's like, we make things racial that are socioeconomic and yet we, and yet we don't. And then, and then they're used against people as well. Like, if you want to know what, what like people in Amarillo use to make other people racist is they'll say, well, those people over there are getting these particular programs. And it's like, well, yeah. And they should get those programs and you should have had a program like that too. And you shouldn't have gotten fucked. And I don't know how to how to work past that. Cause I feel like mm. they're using the help as fuel for the, pro, uh, to, to make, to like, to make it seem worse. Sure. Yeah. To helping. Is an important question. And I don't know how to fix it. So that's not a question anymore. Just <laughs> how you would deal with observation. It. <laughs> so, yeah. so we have final thoughts. Is that where we're at? Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm a, you know, I, I, I believe in God and all of that stuff. And I think, on a fundamental level, you gotta love the person next to you, and I think in like, and that's how you fix discrepancies for for programs for schools. Is I gotta look like, and I've had to work with sex offenders, murderers. I've worked with some of the scummiest people, but I still gotta treat that person like they matter. You know what I mean? And I think. I think until, and that's just like a fundamental thing is I, if I can value your existence and honor your right to be alive, then we can fix things. But people are so focused right now on their, oh, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm transphobic or I'm not phobic or I'm colorblind or I don't like black people or I don't like Mexican. Well, None of that fixes, because like you said, like these issues, they're not just racial because they're going to be tied with socioeconomic. They're going to be tied with all of these other things that coincide with it. It's just the racial part makes it even muckier to deal with because that's not even a, a, a logical cognitive thing. That's a, it's almost like a primal thing. That's me versus you. And we can't, like, if there's anything COVID-19 has taught me is unequivocally, we've, we've, we fucking need each other. Like, all of those doctors and nurses that busted their asses, all of those people got up for Subway and made sure people had food, all of the schools that kept their food open, like, their cafeterias open, that's from people who give a shit about the person next to them. And if we can't do that, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You could change all the poli- you could change all the police policies today, but if you don't love the person next to you, then it doesn't matter. My expansion on that, my expansion on that, I agree with you. My expansion on that, this would be my final thoughts are you to keep that happening or to make that happen, to see that dream come to fruition, you have to continue the conversation. And it has to be open-minded conversation. I love seeing, I love seeing my friends who are who are not of color. Uh, come in and, and talk about how explain how um, how let's, let's take Black Lives Matter or and then and then versus you know the All Lives Matter comment. Well, no shit, everyone's All Lives Matter. Yes, but we, the focus is 
all lives matter, but you've, you've got to, you're forgetting these lives too. You've been forgetting these lives for a long time. That's part of the issue. And so I love it when I see that explained and expanded on by people who are not necessarily disenfranchised by that same mindset. And, and it's not fair to say that they're not disenfranchised by it, but I mean, not disenfranchised by, by the color of their skin or because of the color of their skin. And I think, and I think that when we, when we start to when we continue the conversation, that's how we drive the change. It's, exactly. You don't know what you don't know until you don't, until you find out that you didn't know it. And so by putting that conversation and focusing on it, you can make the, the it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. It has to be, it should be. But through that conversation is how you enact the change. Be an agent of change. I agree. Lofty Darwinism. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Like, share. We appreciate yeah. it. Facebook, we're out there. No, guys, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I completely agree about continuing the conversation. I mean, I think this is uh, – it's it's awkward. It's awkward to, you know, like be white in all of this, especially in downtown Los Angeles. I mean, fucking tanks everywhere, man. Like, like, guys, thank yeah, you so much for videos. coming it's on. It's and... awkward to be alive at that point. I mean, <laughs> Tiananmen Square wasn't full of white people and it still went real bad. So, you know, like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's I mean, the, yeah. but, but I mean, of, of course, yeah, tanks. like it's going to be awkward. And like I said, cringe and, and everything. But, you know, like it's like I believe in conversation and going forward so yeah shalom i love everything that you just said and jonathan i completely agree with Perfect. that point of like you've got to love the person next to you i mean totally on that. so thank you thank jonathan. you guys so thank much for joining us no worries thanks for having us appreciate it